Do you ever get the feeling that there are just certain things that you'll never be able to do well? And maybe it's because you just think that's not something I'm, I'm good at or I just don't seem to be wired that way. If that's you, if you ever have those thoughts, then there's a chance that you are, are falling into what psychology calls a limited mindset. Back in 2006, author Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. And what she did was she studied thousands of individuals and watched the way that they lived their lives, that they pursued their goals. And what, what she found was that t- people tend to fall into two camps. They, they t- fall into a, a camp of, of a limited mindset or a growth mindset. Some of you may be familiar with this idea. But, but a limited mindset would say something like, well, I, I can't do certain things because I don't have that skill or I don't have that gift or I'm not just wired that way. Whereas a growth mindset would would say something like, well, I can gain the knowledge and skills necessary to succeed so that every challenge that I face in life is a learning experience. So I want you to ask yourself right now, which one are you? Limited? Growth? Somewhere in between? Like, I think there's this, 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 this reality that I face. I don't know about you, but I tend to fall into it where I think the mindset of being fixed in my thinking comes natural. I begin to say, you know, there's just certain things I'm not good at, therefore, I I just can't follow that path. You might say, I'm not good at math. Anybody here love math? There's like two of you crazy people. I'm not good at math or I hate accounting. I failed accounting in, in college and so therefore I can never be a business owner. Or, or, or you know, for me, God, one of the things God didn't bless me with was, was hype, right? And so I, I never could really touch the rim unless it was like on nine foot. And so, you know, a limited mindset would say I'm never gonna be good at basketball. Or, or because of the hairstyle that I've chosen, I realize that I, my modeling options are limited. <laughs> like the way we perceive ourselves and the way we see who we are and the way we are wired will often whether, help us to see whether we can or, or can't do something. And so for many of us, I think we've experienced this limited mindset when it comes to relationships. Oh, I could never ask her out. She's not gonna say yes to me. Or, or our careers, well, why even try for that promotion? I'm not good enough. But it also happens in areas of our faith. See, if you've been a believer for any time, there's no doubt been a moment when you've walked in and to church and you've heard a pastor say something, or maybe you were in a Bible study or a life group and you heard something that came from the mouth of God and you said, well, there's no way I can do that. I just can't do that. I can't give that up. Are you serious? I don't have the ability to do that. I have social anxiety. There's no way I'm going to be able to have that conversation. Well, I just don't know enough about God's word to talk about it. What? You want me to say what? And because of our, our limiting mindset, it often drives us to a place where we say, then why even try? What's interesting, what, what, what Carol Dweck says in this book, is she says that the difference between a limited mindset and a growth mindset actually comes down to one word. It's the word yet. Somebody say yet. Yet. See, just put yet at the end of the sentence. Well, I can't be expected to change the way I live. Well, what if you put yet 
at the end. Oh, I can't be expected to be able to do X, Y, Z yet. Because the word yet allows a door to open that helps us to see that we actually can gain new skills. We can actually gain new abilities. We can actually gain the insights to do new things. It just takes the desire to develop them. One of the things that Dweck says here is that yet recognizes that improvement operates in a space just outside of your comfort zone. You know, there's the old saying, you're either going forward or going backwards. Well, the way to go to forward is step just outside your comfort zone. It, it, the word yet also involves deliberate practice, having a clear awareness of the specific components of a skill we're aiming to improve. So let, let, let me bring this down to our level. As we flip the calendar into a new year, there's no doubt that all of us feel this tug at some level to get better at something. And we say, what do we want this year to be about? What new intentionalities do we want to develop this year? And a lot of times we'll stop ourselves in our tracks by saying, but yeah, I can't do that. But what if we insert the word yet? I haven't been able to do that yet. See, one of the challenges though with the word yet is that we have to be really uh, honest with ourselves that we might say that we want to do X, Y, Z, we might say that we want to get better at certain things, but we kind of hope that it just happens, like it's osmosis, right? We just are around somebody, and it just starts to change. But as we like to say sometimes, a goal without a plan is just a wish. And so we have to have a plan to be effective, to see new change in our life. And I think that is one of the powerful things that we can do in our faith as we begin to see that growth is possible. We just have to take steps towards it. So today we're kicking off this new series called Practicing the Way. And if you look through the the words that Jesus tells his disciples, he often calls them to do certain things and models it for them. And it's certain things. There's different terms for these things. Some people call them spiritual disciplines. Some people call them practices. But what they do is they help you to learn to follow Jesus better. It's not that by doing these things, we earn God's love, or by doing these things, we get better, we become better Christians. It's, no, by by doing these things, we actually grow in our faith. We actually learn to, to know God more, and it changes the way we live, and it changes our lives. So these next seven weeks, we're gonna look at seven practices that Jesus calls his disciples to do as they learn to follow him better. The early church, before they became known as Christians, they became known as followers of the way. And so that's why we, over these next seven weeks, are going to learn to practice the way. In in the book of Luke, chapter 10, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We'll be in Luke 11. In the book of Luke, chapter 10, we see this really interesting scene where Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends them out in pairs of two, to go around to all these neighboring towns and start to talk about the kingdom of heaven. They're learning to teach the things they've learned from Jesus. How many of you know one of the best ways to have something become really well-known to you is to teach it to somebody else right after you learn it? So Jesus teaches them what it looks like to, about the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like to follow. And he says to them, he says, okay, I want you guys to go out and I want you to tell the neighboring towns in Galilee what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so they come back and they're really excited. They're like, Jesus, 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 we did all these amazing things. Jesus, like we were able to talk to this person and then this happened and we were able to touch this person and then this happened. 
And there's this really cool celebration. But then in Luke 11, we see something really cool. We see that Jesus goes off to pray. And then when he comes back, the disciples who had just been teaching, they, 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 they look at Jesus. And one of them says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, can you teach me how to pray like you do? N- notice Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, we don't know which of Jesus' disciples this was. It might have been Andrew because Andrew was a disciple of John. And we know that John, talking about John the disciple, or John the Baptist, I should say, had, was teaching his disciples, his followers, how to pray. And so Andrew came over. Maybe Andrew told that to one of the other guys, and they brought it up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, like, we see you praying all the time. Will you teach us how to pray like you do? Now, I want you just to, to, to step back for a moment and imagine living in the first century AD. Imagine growing up a, a Jewish kid in the first century. In that culture, everyone was taught a lot about what it looked like to follow God, about how to read their, old, their Hebrew Old Testaments and about how to pray. Praying was kind of a ritual for, for them. They were taught at a very young age as part of their education the way to pray formal Jewish prayers. And, and you can see a lot of this in the Old Testament. But, but it's interesting. The disciples saw Jesus pray a lot. He saw Jesus pray out loud. He saw Jesus pray for them. He saw Jesus, they saw Jesus sneak off into the wilderness to pray and to get quiet in silence and solitude. So there was something different. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked Jesus. There was something different. Jesus, you pray differently than we were told. You will pray differently than we've ever seen. Teach us how to pray like you pray. There was something magnetic about the prayers of Jesus. You know, prayer is interesting. Pew Research a few years ago did a study, and it talked to Christians and non-Christians about it, and it said, it asked the question, how many of you pray? And it was, it was really interesting whether it's, it's you know, evangelical or it, it's Catholic or it's non-believer or another world religion. It found that 76% of people, religious or not, Christian or not, pray at some level. Like 55% pray every day. But, the, the, you know, another percentage of those pray over the course of the month. And so it, it is really interesting to see this idea that a lot of people pray, but what about you and what about us? when we think about prayer, what do we think about? You guys might remember about a month ago, we sent out a survey and many of you filled out that survey. Thanks for doing that. And the survey was to kind of capture where we kind of find ourselves ending 2023, moving into 2024. And we asked a few questions about prayer. And so this is one of the graphs. We asked you, how often do you pray? And and here's what you guys said, that 62% of you, said that you regularly talk with God. Another 15% said, or another, I'm sorry, 29% said that you, you somewhat regularly talk to God. That's encouraging, right? How about this? Look at the next graph. 56% of you said that you guys pray for others often. And another 37% of you said that you somewhat pray for others often. And, and so those are encouraging numbers. And I'm going to show you this last graphic here. 52% of you said that you see God moving in the lives of other people that you're praying for. So more than half of you. 
And another 35% says, yeah, yeah, I'm seeing it. Maybe not all the time, but I'm seeing some, some of these trends in my life. I think these are encouraging numbers about you, Forefront Church, how you see prayer in your life. But here's a question I want to ask you. Out of the 50% to two-thirds of you that answered this survey and that said that you, yes, I do regularly pray, or I do regularly pray for other people, or I'm, yes, I'm seeing people moving, seeing God move in the lives of people that I'm praying for. How many of you, moment of honesty, can we be honest at church? I, th- I hope. How many of you would say, I'm just nailing it in my prayer life? I love a couple of you guys are honest and say, I am. But a lot of us kept our hands down. Why is that? I, I would wonder, is it because deep down somewhere, even though we pray, even though it, there's some consistency in our prayer life, we know there's something inside of us that says, yeah, but I don't pray like I know that I should. Or some of you, I think you might say, I pray, but let's be honest, I'm just not very good at praying. So I think there's just a reality. Like we all want to get better at certain things, and as Christians, we hear the word talk about, we hear prayer talked about a lot, but for a lot of us, the relationship we have with prayer is this kind of boring, weird, kind of different thing that's not very exciting and not very fun. And we throw one up real quick on the way out the door or before our team's getting ready to kick the last minute field goal or something. But we know we need to take steps forward. So here's what I want you to notice. And we're going to dive into this today. In, in, in Luke 11, we're going to see Jesus teach us how to pray. He doesn't teach us how to be good at praying. You guys get that? Jesus isn't going to teach you how to get good at praying. He's going to teach you how to pray. And the reason he's going to teach you how to pray is he's going to teach you a rhythm and a pattern for when you pray. Because that is what you need to know. You need to learn. It's not about being good at something like shooting free throws or becoming better at presenting in front of your coworkers. Learning how to pray is learning how to communicate with God himself. All right, so that's our task for today. Open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 2. Let's read the entire Lord's Prayer together. So it says this. So Jesus, the disciples say, Jesus teaches how to pray. And Jesus says to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, that might sound a little different than maybe what you grew up hearing. If some of you guys grew up in in, uh, certain faith traditions, you might have said the Lord's Prayer every Sunday at church. And often we read the one from Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to the sermon on the Sermon on the Mount to a giant crowd, and he's teaching them, when you pray, here are some things that you should do. And so they're very similar. This is what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Or if you grew up Catholic, it's called the Our Father. Now, both of these are the same prayer. Just one is a little more detailed than the other, and we'll hit them both a little bit today. But what's interesting is I, I, I imagine a lot of scholars probably would say that Jesus taught Luke 11, first his disciples. And then later, Matthew 6 came as he was teaching the crowd. And so Jesus is speaking directly here to his disciples about this rhythm for how to pray. But he's given us this this pattern to guide us. 
Now, I want to be careful because often when we are told something step by step, we take that and we see it works. We, we take that to heart and we say, well, this is what I need to do every time. So I want to be careful that when you read this prayer, you go, oh, that's easy. I can just do that in the morning and I'm done. Lord's Prayer, boom. I can memorize that puppy. I'm out of here, right? But it, this isn't like cooking a brisket, right? This isn't like, you know, repairing a fence. This is not something that Jesus wants us to say verbatim every single time. He, this is something he wants us to pattern our prayer life after. And see, here's how you know why. Let me, let me ask you this. When you, anybody here have plans this year, 2024, to get to the gym a little more? Man, you guys are healthy. <laughs> It's the healthiest group I've ever seen. But a lot of us, right, or so many people are just like, I don't know if I'm going to put my hand up. We get to the gym, and we're like, man, I'm going to do the same workout, but ask Kev, and he'll tell you, if you do the same workout every single day for the whole year, you're going to plateau. You need to up the weight. You need to up the reps. You need to mix in different kind of workouts. Otherwise, it gets stale. And what happens to us in our prayers, I know it's happened to me, so I'm going to guess it's probably happened to you is we get in a rhythm of saying the same thing, we just say it. And it gets stale, and it gets routine, and it gets kind of just worn out. And so what happens when we don't see gains? We stop going to the gym. And the same thing happens with prayer. We lose the heart behind it. So if you're like me and you want to grow in prayer, or, or maybe for you, you put your faith in Jesus recently, and you just don't even know what this prayer thing is. Or maybe for some of you, you think prayer is boring and tedious and you don't want anything to do with it. You're in the right place today because I think we're going to learn a lot about what it looks like to follow Jesus' pattern to find our rhythm to pray. So let's dig into this. Notice this. How does this pattern fit together? 11, Luke 11, verse 2, he says this. When you pray, say, let's say it together. Father, hallowed be your name. You can start a prayer a lot of ways. You can start a prayer with, by saying, dear God. You can start a prayer by saying, what's up, God? Yo, God. You can start a prayer by saying, blessed, merciful, glorious, heavenly Father of heaven and earth who divinely reigns over all of creation and stands spitting forth the beauty of knowledge and rivulent thought of all creation. I just made that up, actually. That was not bad. <laughs> or you can say, Father. Notice Jesus says, Father, simply, simply. Or he says in, in uh, Matthew 6, our Father. No, notice this. When we hear that word Father, we, we've heard it a bunch. Like you guys probably aren't like taken back by that, but the disciples would have been. When the disciples heard Jesus say, pray to God like this, our Father who is in heaven, the disciples would have been like, what? Because to them, Prayer wasn't an intimate thing with your heavenly father. To, to them, they would have thought it was crazy, almost maybe borderline heretical to call God father because God was this all-powerful being. You didn't even, they didn't even want to say his name Yahweh because they were afraid that they said it wrong. God would strike them down. So they changed it to vowel markers to Adonai. So they would not have been as comfortable at first, but Jesus is trying to relay something to them the same way he's trying to relay it to us, is that the all-holy, all-perfect God of heaven who spoke this world into existence and gives us this word to reveal himself to us wants you to know and me to know that he is, in fact, our heavenly Father. And think about what that means for you. 
So I want you to notice the way you envision God will direct the way you pray. If you envision God as a genie in a bottle, who you go and you have three wishes, then you make sure you take the best wish to him. But then you're not going to take anything else to him because you don't want to use up all your wishes. Or if you see God as some faraway deity that really doesn't care, that kind of set it and forget it, then you're not really going to have a very close conversation with him because you don't see him being very close to you. But what if you began to see God as your heavenly father, the one who loved you so much, he reveals himself to you, sent Jesus here for us, and wants to have an intimate, communicative relationship with you. So I think Jesus is saying here that prayer is how we interact with our heavenly Father. Jesus isn't a faraway deity. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a, he's not a, a little pixie floating around with pixie dust. He is the king of heaven, the creator of everything, and your heavenly father. Sometimes when, when we're at home, we make dinner, and I'm tired, and I'm like, Courtney, let's just go watch a game or watch a movie. And Courtney does a great job of saying, no, we need to gather around the dinner table. And you know what's different between sitting around the dinner table eating and watching TV? Everything, right? Like, think of the conversations that happen around the dinner table. Like, when you're watching TV, you're not talking, but around the dinner table, hey, how was your day? Tell me the funny story. Let me tell you a bad dad joke, right? Like, there's just this communication. There's this interaction that doesn't happen anywhere else. How many of you wake up in the morning with kids in home or uh, a grandparent in the house or a spouse in the house and just get ready and leave without saying a word to them? If you do, you probably shouldn't do that. That's what we do with God, though, all the time, right? God's your heavenly father, and we're like, hey, God, what's up? See you. Got to go. Got to get to work. And God's like, okay, I'll be here when you get back. What's up, God? I'm home. Got to turn on the game. And, and there's just no interaction. I want you to notice, Jesus says we call him father because he is a relational God. He is our God, our heavenly father. And I want you to ask this. What would it look like for you if you began to see prayer to God as prayer to your heavenly father. I like this quote by A.B. Simpson. It says that prayer is the link that connects us with God. Do you want to grow in your relationship with God as a believer? Hopefully you would say yes. If that's the case, then prayer is how it begins. We're going to spend seven weeks talking about different ways, and there's a lot of really cool, exciting things we're going to uncover. But this is where we have to start. So I want to ask you this. Imagine with me your routine. Some of you might say, hey, yeah, I, have a, I start in the morning in prayer. Some of you guys might say, you know, my prayers are just kind of whenever. Some of you might, might say, well, it's, it's every like few days. I'll throw one out there to God. What if you started a rhythm where you sat down wherever you went, wherever you found in your home could get quiet or at work, a quiet corner, and you sat quietly and set yourself to realize I'm speaking to God who is my heavenly father? What if you just reoriented your heart just briefly before you started praying? How could that change your prayers? So notice what happens next. In verse two, he says this. He goes on to say, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The word hallowed is an interesting word. It means to be set apart, to be holy or be sanctified. And so by saying hallowed, Jesus is teaching us to be able to look to our heavenly father and say, God, I adore you because you are the, the creator of heaven and earth. 
God, you are the most powerful thing in existence. Your name is unique and holy, and I'm setting you apart. And then he moves on to say that, Father, your kingdom come. Matthew says this in John, in Matthew 6, he says that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So notice this pattern, okay? I want you to notice this. Jesus is teaching us to pray God's kingdom before mine. God's will before mine. God's will on heaven as it is on earth. One of the natural things, I don't know if it happens to you, but it happens to me. One of the natural things is we have this internal bent inward. So no matter how hard we try on our own to stay focused outwardly or stay focused on God, we tend to think, turn things back inward. So here's how you know I'm, I'm, I'm right about this. How many of you guys took a Christmas photo of some kind with your family this Christmas season? How many of you, when you looked at that picture, looked at yourself first? Guarantee you, you didn't look at your little kid, right? Your little kid's got his finger halfway up its nose, like zippers down, all that stuff. But you're like, man, I look pretty good. Post it, right? That's next year's Christmas card, honey, right? We, we naturally do that. You walk, you're, you know, you're walking down the street and there's like a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a window and it's a coffee shop and you start looking at yourself and you're like, and then you look next level and there's like three teenagers looking at you laughing, Right? Like we naturally go me first. What this prayer does is really cool. Notice this. Jesus is saying is that prayer is asking God to help you keep things in the right order. When you say, God, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what you're saying is, God, help me put you first and me second. I'm putting things in the right order because if I don't do that, my order will always be about me, me, me. My God, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says that, think of this Lord's Prayer like a map. Here's a picture of a map, old school. Here's a map. Now, let's say each of you have a map, this map right in front of you, and you're looking at it, and you're touching it, and you're going, man, I'm gonna, move, I'm gonna go there, and I'm gonna visit here. Are you a traveler because you touched the map? No. The answer is no, if you guys are curious. <laughs> you're not a traveler because you touched the map. You're a traveler when you use the map to go and travel. And this is what the Lord's Prayer is teaching us. The Lord's Prayer isn't teaching us, as long as we touch the Lord's Prayer, we have prayed. The Lord's Prayer is teaching us a pattern to follow, which helps keep things in the right order, in the right perspective. And so when we go to God and we say, God, I want you in my life first. I want your goals for my life first. We are asking, God, help me put myself second. Have you ever wondered what God wants for you? I think we all have, right? God, what do you want for my life? Is God's goal for our life to be rich? Is God's goal for our life to be famous? Is God's goal for our life to be successful and to have all these things? I don't see that as I look at God's word. What I look at God's word and I see is that God's goal for your life is for your life to begin over time to look more and more like the way Jesus's life looked to live like Jesus lived, to love like Jesus loved, to pray like Jesus prayed, to care for others like Jesus cared for others. And the one of the main ways we start that process of moving that direction is by praying, God, your will be done. So what would it look like for you if in the morning when you sat down or right before bed or at lunchtime and you went to God and you prayed and you got still and quiet for a moment and you addressed your heavenly father 
you use that as a time to reset the order of who you love most in your life. I think that has the power to change the way you pray. Now, now notice what happens next. Is really, this is really cool. Verse, verse 2, he, he moves into, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, he moves into this, this praying for what we need. Now, notice what he says. He says, verse 2 and 3, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily what? Bread. Give us each day our, our daily bread. Now, this is an interesting question. I, I, I just imagine you're out on the street, you're talking to somebody at work or somebody in class, and you ask them the question, why do people pray? What do you think people are going to say? What answer are you going to get? I think people are going to say something like, well, prayer is where we ask God for things. Prayer is where we tell God what we need. I just think that's the common conception, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I come home from work, and when, when my kid, when I walk in the door, my kids run up to me, and they're like, glorious Father, I have been desiring all day for your presence. Thank you for coming home. Can we hold hands and do, you know, whatever? No, they're like, dad, 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 I need a snack. Mom took my phone. I need, the dog needs to go out. She pooped downstairs. I need you to do this, that, and the other. And I'm like, it's good to see you too, girls. <laughs> like that's reality, right? And so how many of our prayers are like that? Oh, Heavenly Father, I just need this, that, and the other. God, fix this problem. Help me with this. Give me this. Give me that. Give me this. Give me that. Before we've ever even welcomed him, before we've ever said anything to him, just like our kids do when we walk in the door. And you know, what happens is when we begin to see prayers just this way, this thing we do to ask God for things, it gets boring, right? We ask God for the same things. And, and you know, it, over time, it just gets dull and we stop asking, especially if God doesn't give us what we ask for or we doubt that he's even listening. Now, you might hear that and you go, hold on, but doesn't the Bible say all over the place that we're supposed to ask God for what we need? It does. Here's two verses. Matthew 21 says this, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith, okay? John 15, seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, sounds like I'm supposed to ask God for the things that I, I want. But here's what you wanna notice. When you ask God for what you want first, then you, your prayers often become something like, well, God, Help me get that promotion to vice president. God, help me get that house in Wash Park. And God, help me get that new R8 Audi that I'm seeing all over TV. But when your prayers are to ask God for what you need third, remember, Father in heaven, who are asking for his will to be done first, and then we go to ask him, then we're simply asking God for things like, God, help me to be a better dad. Help me to be thankful for the house that I have. And please help my Jeep stop breaking. See, notice the difference? It's the order of the things that we do. See, Jesus gives us a pattern here. Notice the pattern. First, start by simply interacting with your heavenly father. Second, we ask God to help us keep the things that he wants first. And third, we pray for what we need. And by the time that we're asking God to reorient our heart, can we put those verses back up? Notice this, when you ask in prayer, you will receive because you are praying for the things that you know that God wants you to have. 
When you abide and Jesus' words are living inside of you and you ask for whatever you wish, the things that you are asking for are the things that he knows you need and he has shaped your heart to want the things that he wants. And so that's why Jesus is giving us this order and this pattern for how to pray. So notice what he's saying here. He says, prayer is where we freely bring our needs to God. God cares. He's your heavenly father. He wants to hear about the things that you want. He wants to hear about that relationship or that new job or that fact that you do need a new this or that. But God wants more than just a want list. God wants a relationship with you. And prayer is where we find it. Notice this. Verse three says, daily bread. I mean, up until refrigeration, people were living day to day. Like, you know, Darren grew up on a farm. Like, this is a prayer for farmers still today, right? Give us what we need today. Help it rain. Courtney's family, they, they are ranchers in Nebraska. They're praying for what they need every day. For some of us, our grocery carts are full of stuff and our fridges are full of stuff and we don't need daily bread. But what we need is daily God to move in our lives to give us what we need for that day. Jesus doesn't say, hey, pray, God, give me what I need for this week. Give me what I need for this year. He says, give me what I need for today. It's driving us to a point where we are daily asking God in rhythm, in a pattern to provide what we need and to trust and know that he's going to give it, that he's going to bring it to us. Cynthia Lewis says that if your day is hemmed in with prayer, it is less likely to come unraveled. Think about that, starting the day every day. God, give me what I need today. Give me my daily bread. So how would it change your life if you started to third ask God to shape what it is that you want to see that he will give you what you need? I think that'll change your prayer life. So let's notice how, let's let's go ahead and wrap up and notice how he finishes here. He says this in the Lord's Prayer at verse, uh, verse four, but I'm gonna read the whole thing for you. He says this, he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I want you to notice how Jesus ends this. He says, go to, see you praying to your heavenly father, ask God's will to be done in your life, pray for what you need and then ask for forgiveness and that for God to help you forgive other people. And he uses an interesting word. You see it there? It's the word indebted. Notice how God shows sin as a debt. A debt that we owe to God or even a debt that someone owes to us. Now, here's the good news that the, the gospel tells us that when Jesus came and gave his life for us and rose from the grave and we say yes to his promise of forgiveness and, and salvation and a new life, that we are forgiven of our sins forever. Our past sins, our present sins, our future sins are forgiven and wiped clean forever. And that is amazing news, but it might lead you to ask, well, then do I still need to pray for forgiveness? Do I still need to ask God to forgive me for my sins if he's already forgiven them. But there's something here that I don't want you to miss. What, what, what Jesus is telling us here is, is even though our position is, potential, is perfectly righteous in the eyes of our heavenly father, when we ask for forgiveness, we are being honest about the things that are keeping us and our communion from God from being perfect. 
we are honestly going to, going to God saying, God, I know I'm still messing up. I'm still sinning. I'm still making mistakes. So forgive me of these. God has already forgiven us of those, but it's a relationship as we talk with our Heavenly Father about the things we need to strive to do better in our lives. Does that make sense? Are we, are we unforgiven when we don't pray? No, but God wants you to bring your confessed pr- uh, prayers to him, confess your sins to him, because it's that moment that God in his interaction with us helps to wash us clean and remind us that we are his children and that our sins do not define us and that we have been made free to walk in this new life that he calls us to live in Jesus. So confession is one of the ways we reorient our heart to Jesus. But notice this, confession, this daily reminder to ask for forgiveness, is also how we make sure that we are right with other people. Jesus says that prayer is where we make sure we are right with God and others. Because if I'm reminding myself every day, God, forgive me of my sins, and Jesus, you forgave me of so much, how can I hold that against someone else when they sin against me? And so it lives, it brings us into this routine and this rhythm of forgiveness. God, forgive me and help me to forgive others. So I think Jesus is calling us to every day lay ourselves bare before God and ask him to help us keep our hearts in the right place. And notice this. Notice how he wraps this thing up, the last part of verse 4. He says in the prayers, and lead us not into temptation. Matthew says, adds, and do not, and deliver us from evil to this verse. What Jesus is saying here is not that God walks us into temptation or that God's gonna tempt us, or that God's gonna lead us into some evil, difficult places. It's literally the prayer to ask God, knowing the world is full of trouble and temptation, to protect us. See, prayers where we ask God to give us strength to face the day. And so this is why when you pray once a week or once a month, you miss so much of what God's trying to teach you. God is not trying to teach you some fancy thing to say, but some daily thing to communicate and interact with him because it resets our heart and it puts us in a place where our posture sees God as the one who is leading our life and not me. I was given a book recently by Tyler Stratton called Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools. And what's interesting, in this book, there, he asked this question, and it just punched me in the gut, and I want to share it with you. Here's was, here's was his question. He asked this. He said that if God gave you everything you prayed for in the last two weeks, what would happen? I want you to ask yourself that question. If God gave you everything you prayed for in the last two weeks, would your life change? Would someone in your life, would their lives change? Would someone who is sick not be sick? Would someone be growing in their faith? Would someone have a relationship issue solved? Would someone know Jesus that doesn't know Jesus now? Like that's a challenging question. Because if if our prayers are simply, God, give me the strength to get up and go to work today, which that's a prayer we often need. But that's where we stop and we went to work, awesome what if our prayers began to be, God, help me live in a way that honors you. God, give me the strength to follow you. God, be with the people in my life to help them to know you. God, be with my church. Be with my neighbors. Imagine what this little section of the world could look like. 
if we truly prayed to our Heavenly Father and truly believed it. So you might ask, well, what do I start? What do I do? Some of you in this room, you guys are prayer warriors already. But I, I want to I just say, if you, if you look at your life and you don't feel like you're in a place yet where you're faithfully in a rhythm, having a deeper relationship and conversation with your Heavenly Father, I just want to give you just a really quick starting point. And this is it. Here's my challenge for you this week is to start to develop this rhythm. First thing first, find somewhere quiet. It's impossible to pray when the kids are climbing all over you or it's loud, the dogs are barking. You just gotta find somewhere quiet. Two, it's, you gotta put away your phone and other distractions. It's impossible to pray if you're checking this thing all the time. Third, you need to find a comfortable place to sit, but you need to sit in an alert position. You know, don't do one of these numbers, you know? Like sit upright and comfortable. But fourth, be, here, here's my challenge for us is if you're not praying at a rhythm you want to pray yet or that you feel like Jesus is calling you to pray, start by just praying what we did today, the Lord's Prayer. And use that as a guide for you. you. Use it as a guide, not just as some routine thing that you have to say the same thing every time, but use it as a guide to draw you deeper to your Heavenly Father whose will for you is so far greater than your will could ever be for yourself, who wants to provide for you your daily needs and your daily bread who wants to remind you that you are forgiven, help you to forgive other people and to trust him for your protection. And what's beautiful is as you begin to do this every day, you begin to develop this rhythm that you don't have to follow the Lord's prayer anymore because now you're having conversations with your heavenly father who loves you so much. He sent Jesus here for you. Uh, we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. So you're, you're gonna get an email later today with a digital guide. You can also find it on the QR code and there's paper copies in the back. But on the back is five sample prayers that over the next three weeks you can use to pray through and to help guide you as you begin this journey in 2024 to grow in prayer. I wanna end with a quote. Ian Bounds says this. He says that prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. A rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. This year, all the new rhythms and routines you want to start are good. But I think this one might be the most important. So let's journey together as we ask God to move, to draw us closer to him through our prayers. Would you pray with me?